primary job of the first scene in any good book is to hook the reader into the action, and the A Game of Thrones prologue certainly does the trick, dropping us right into the middle of the haunted forest only moments before three rangers of the Night's Watch encounter the others. It's also well known that skilled authors usually try to use the first scene of a book to foreshadow as much as they can about the major themes and arcs of their story. And once again, the A Game of Thrones prologue comes through with flying colors. Many fine folks have done fine analysis on this all-important first chapter, and you can find a three-hour deep dive on the mythical symbolism therein on my channel here in the video titled We Should Start Back. But I'm here today to show you how Sir Waymar Royce's confrontation with the others actually spells out the beginning of the White Walker Endgame and sheds light on their mysterious motives. That's right, it's all right here in the very first chapter. So hey there friends and fellow mythheads, it's Lucifer Means Lightbringer. I have to apologize to you all, for it seems that following the path of symbol and archetype has led us to pile heresy on top of heresy of late. That's right, all we did was innocently follow the rabbit trail of the King's Guard symbolizing the others, and pretty soon we are reordering the events of the Long Night and claiming to have discovered the very origins of the others. Well, let the haters hate, because we've only begun exploring the ramifications of Azor Ahai the Dragonlord having become Knight's King and, along with Knight's Queen, the creator of the others. And there's lots more to discover still. If you like these videos and you want to keep the heresy rolling, please make sure you have clicked on that red subscribe button below. And I know this is asking a lot, but please also click the like button and maybe leave a comment if you're really feeling it. If you'd like to support the program financially, you can do that through a monthly Patreon pledge or through a one-time donation at paypal.me slash mythicalastronomy. And thanks very much to everyone who has already done so. You're the reason I can make these videos. All right, let's rip into the exciting notion of a new Knight's King arising to lead the others. Our first clue that the White Walkers are, at the very least, looking for someone special comes in the A Game of Thrones prologue, where we see six White Walkers murder brave Sir Waymar Royce in cold butchery after he loses the duel to the first one. That's actually the first part of the clue right there, the sequence of this entire exchange. The others almost certainly could have murdered Waymar and his company at any time, as they did the wildling party that Waymar, Garrod, and Will were tracking. But instead, they exhibited intentional strategy and timing by killing the wildlings and then removing their bodies, which had the effect of luring the rangers further along to the specific place where the others then chose to emerge and confront the rangers. Then, only one other stepped forward to challenge Waymar, while the other five remained standing back. Behind him, to right, to left, all around him, the watchers stood patient, faceless, silent, the shifting patterns of their delicate armor making them all but invisible in the wood, yet they made no move to interfere. So once again, you can see that the others are refusing to simply kill Waymar as quickly as they can. So, logically, we can infer that they must have some other objective, pun intended. If their goal isn't simply to kill the Night's Watch, then what is it, right? Are they testing Sir Waymar and thereby the Watch for skill, just to assess their foe? Or were they perhaps testing Waymar to see if he was some sort of prophesied figure? Someone perhaps like the dreaded Azor Ahai Reborn, nemesis of the others? Or might they, as the title of this video suggests, be looking for someone to make into a new Knight's King, a new leader of the others? After all, if the Green Seers and the Targaryens have prophecies about Azor Ahai and the prince that was promised emerging to fight the others, it stands to reason that the others may be on the lookout for him too, right? They can certainly see the bloody red comet, you know? 
And if the others are looking for a new Knights King, well, that may also be a matter of prophecy or of qualifications, hence the testing. Whatever the case, what we can observe is that the other others continue to watch, motionless, until... Then Royce's parry came a beat too late. The pale sword bit through the ringmail beneath his arm. The young lord cried out in pain. Blood welled beneath the rings. It steamed in the cold, and the droplets seemed red as fire where they touched the snow. Sir Waymar's fingers brushed his side. His moleskin glove came away soaked with red. The other said something in a language that Will did not know. His voice was like the cracking of ice on a winter lake, and the words were mocking. Sir Waymar Royce found his fury. For Robert, he shouted, and he came up snarling, lifting the frost-covered longsword with both hands and swinging it around in a flat sidearm slash with all his weight behind it. The other's parry was almost lazy. When the blades touched, the steel shattered. A scream echoed through the forest night, and the longsword shivered into a hundred brittle pieces, the shards scattering like a rain of needles. Royce went to his knees, shrieking, and covered his eyes. Blood welled beneath his fingers. The Watchers moved forward together, as if some signal had been given. Swords rose and fell, all in a deathly silence. It was cold butchery. The pale blades sliced through the ringmail as if it were silk. Will closed his eyes. Far beneath him, he heard their voices and laughter, sharp as icicles. All right, so the five others in the woods moved forward together as if a signal had been given, and they did it right after the other chose to shatter Waymar's sword. Some have interpreted this to be about the sword. The other did take a nice long look at Waymar's sword right before the fight, after all, and the thinking is that when it broke, that proved it wasn't Valerian steel. After that, the others no longer respected Waymar as a threat, and so disposed of him with all due disrespect. But here's the thing, Waymar's sword didn't break the very first time it touched the icy other blade. And it didn't break at some random point in the sword fight. And it certainly didn't break from the vicious force of the almost lazy parry of the other. Rather, it seems to me that the other chose to break Waymar's sword because he had already dismissed Waymar as a threat. If we look closely, we can see that the real change in behavior came when Waymar took the first wound from the other's sword and bled onto the snow with blood droplets that seemed red as fire. It is at this point that the other first speaks in his mocking tone, which implies dismissal, and then the next move is the lazy parry, which breaks the sword. In other words, Waymar is being dismissed by the sword breaking, not after the sword breaking. So what's so important about Waymar bleeding? Do the others simply play by one-hit-kill rules? Was that icy laughter basically otherish for, you lose, or game over? Or perhaps, perhaps they were looking for someone who doesn't bleed. Someone who's undead, like Cold Hands, or like Jon Snow will be by the time he confronts his first other. Here's the thing, I actually don't hate the idea that the sword breaking was a key sign to the others that Waymar could be easily dismissed. And actually, the sword breaking idea might complement the idea that his bleeding was also a key sign. After all, by the time Jon meets the others, it will be both as an undead person and as someone with Valerian steel in their hand. If the others do have some sort of prophecy, then they may well be on the lookout for an undead person with a Valerian steel, or we might say dragon steel, sword, because that's ultimately who's going to face them. Whatever it was about Sir Waymar that caused him to fail his test with the others, fail he did, and it's clear that the others rapidly shifted from giving Waymar the respect of a ritual-like, one-on-one sword duel to dispatching him with cold butchery and mocking laughter. So here's the big question. 
What were the others planning on doing to Waymar if he had measured up, or if he had been some sort of prophesied figure whom the others were watching for? Something other than kill him, obviously, since that's what they did when he failed. So what was it? We have two choices that I can see. If the others are looking out for a threat, a great warrior like Azor High Reborn, then it's possible that all the other others would have instantly attacked if, say, Waymar's sword had caught fire or if he had managed to kill the first other. Or perhaps they would have called in the reinforcements of ice spiders and whites to deal with this more serious foe. The other possibility is that the others, as I suggest in the title of the video, are looking for someone whom they can make into a new Knight's King. Not only does this make sense for all the narrative reasons and symbolic reasons that we've covered in the last few videos that suggest that the others should have a king, and that that person should be some sort of frozen Azor High figure. I believe that George is actually feeding us a very nice symbolic clue about who the others are looking for in the fate of Sir Waymar, because George basically turns him into a frozen Azor High Knight's King ice wizard person at the end of the chapter. To wit, let's have a look at the horror that George has fashioned at the conclusion of this first chapter of A Game of Thrones. Royce's body lay face down in the snow, one arm outflung. The thick sable cloak had been slashed in a dozen places. Lying dead like that, you saw how young he was. A boy. He found what was left of the sword a few feet away, the end splintered and twisted like a tree struck by lightning. Will knelt, looked around warily, and snatched it up. The broken sword would be his proof. Garrett would know what to make of it, and if not him, then surely that old bear Mormont, or Maester Aemon. Would Garrett still be waiting with the horses? He had to hurry. Will rose. Sir Waymar Royce stood over him. His fine clothes were a tatter, his face a ruin. A shard from his sword transfixed the blind white pupil of his left eye. The right eye was open. The pupil burned blue. It saw. The broken sword fell from nerveless fingers. Will closed his eyes to pray. Long, elegant hands brushed his cheek, then tightened around his throat. They were gloved in the finest moleskin and sticky with blood, yet the touch was icy cold. Alright, so I know that Waymar is, in actuality, just a common ice white here, nothing special. But what I want to talk about is the symbolism. Of course, right? Waymar is implied both specifically as a Night's King figure and, more generally, as some kind of ice wizard who has transcended death and obtained new icy magical powers. Which is exactly how we should think of someone who becomes a Night's King, whether that's the original Azor High, or Jon Snow, or Euron, or anyone else. There are two ways in which Waymar is implied as having obtained an icy version of the Fire of the Gods, and when I say Fire of the Gods, I really just mean the magical power and knowledge of the gods. First we have the one-eyed symbolism of Odin, and then we have the broken tree struck by lightning symbolism of the Grey King. The one-eyed symbolism is easy to recognize as a call-out to the Norse god of shamanic magic, Odin, as George Martin has made quite liberal use of Odin mythology and the related mythology of Yggdrasil, Odin's magical tree, in fashioning his own weirwood trees and green seer wizards. I've explored this at length in the Weirwood Compendium podcast series, but the main thing to know here is that having one eye is Odin's chief calling card. He appears in countless forms, even those of animals, but always with one eye. Odin lost that eye in exchange for opening his third eye, so to speak. 
He traded it for a drink from the well of Mimir, which, speaking in general terms, gave Odin increased magical knowledge and power. Therefore, the one-eye symbol is not only Odin's calling card, but specifically represents the concept of sacrificing your physical body or life to gain magic power. Along the same lines, the other very famous way that Odin gained magical power was by being hanged from the ash tree Yggdrasil for nine days, after which he was able to transcend death and see the runes. Enter Bloodraven, the living tree statue, who has both symbols. He's lost one physical eye, but has pried open his third eye all the way to gain magical sight, like Odin. Bloodraven is also hung on the tree, only in the root zone, quite literally tied to the weirwood by its roots, and even pierced by them, just as Odin was tied to Yggdrasil and pierced to the tree with his spear. On a thematic level, Bloodraven has certainly sacrificed much to gain the power of Greenseer magic. And if you think about it, the same is true of Bran, and Daenerys, and the Undying of Karth, and pretty much everyone else who seeks magical power in A Song of Ice and Fire. So, getting back to Waymar, we see that one of the shards of his broken sword has blinded his left eye, and that his right eye now burns blue. This blue is, of course, literally burning with magical fire, the same magical fire that animates his resurrected body. So Waymar has kind of done the Odin trick here. He's become one-eyed, but he's gained magical power, and he did this while defeating death, just as Odin is thought to have died and then transcended death when he hung from Yggdrasil. That's why I say that Martin is using symbolism to imply Waymar as possessing an icy version of the fire of the gods. He's become an Odin figure, but unlike Bloodraven, he's coded in the language of ice. This is confirmed by the broken sword symbol, the end of which is splintered and twisted like a tree struck by lightning. Lightning is already a classic symbol of the fire and power of the gods throughout mythology, and George has specifically made use of this idea in his Grey King mythology. Check this out. It was the Grey King who brought fire to the earth by taunting the storm god until he lashed down with a thunderbolt, setting a tree ablaze. Now, this isn't to say that the Grey King has anything to do with this specifically. Rather, I'm showing you that Martin has used the symbol of a tree struck by lightning to embody the Promethean concept of bringing the fire of the gods from the heavens down to the earth. The others are also described as moving and striking like lightning. So this broken sword twisted like a lightning-blasted tree, which has been broken by the others, is specifically a symbol of the icy fire of the gods, which animates the others. Thus, we see two symbols of obtaining the fire or power of the gods manifest themselves, alongside Waymar's death and resurrection. Waymar is given the icy blue version of the one-eye Odin symbolism at the same time that his sword is transformed into the tree struck by lightning symbol. And so, you can see that when undead Waymar rises from the snow to kill his fellow Night's Watch brother Will, he's in fact showing us more than our first ice white. Unpacking the symbolism here allows us to see that resurrected Waymar is being presented as an ice Odin figure, as some sort of powerful ice magic sorcerer. Who could this be, guys? What do you think? Who is it that goes through some sort of death transformation, bleeding out in drops as red as fire, only to gain the power of icy White Walker magic? This can only be our Night's King Azor High figure, right? Waymar is manifesting this archetype right after the others gave him that test, and as I alluded to a minute ago, I think that's a clue about who they are really seeking here. Someone who can become a new Night's King, a new ice magic wizard who can defeat death. To put it simply, in terms of the surface-level plot, Waymar fails and is killed. But in terms of symbolism, the others have effectively transformed him into a White Walker King.
As it happens, Waymar does have plenty of Night's King symbolism about him, beginning with him killing his brother Will as soon as he's resurrected. According to legend, Night's King broke his vows and turned against the realms of men, and transformed post-death Waymar now seems to have fully adopted the other's policy of snuffing out all warm-blooded life. Night's King was also thought to bind his brothers to his will with strange sorceries, right? And here in this scene, Waymar is kind of doing that. He's binding his brother Will to him with sorcery in the sense that Waymar is making Will into a magical Ice White, who now takes orders from the others. The entire first half of this prologue is pretty much dedicated to portraying Waymar as reckless, bold, heedless, and foolish as he insists on pressing deeper into the haunted forest against the advice of his two seasoned ranger companions. In fact, he's pressing on against the advice of the very woods themselves, which are written as being actively hostile to Waymar. You could say that Waymar is, oh, what's the phrase I'm looking for, a man who knew no fear, just as Night's King was a man who knew no fear. And in truth, we can say that fearlessness, for better or worse, really is Waymar's defining characteristic, right up to his having the courage to stand and face the other boldly before he died. If we look at this chapter in totality, we can see that it was Waymar's fearless incursion into the woods which brought the others down upon them, which I would see as an echo of Night's King's quest for magical power having ended in the creation of the others. One thing that all Night's King figures do is blot out the stars in various literal or symbolic ways, and Waymar does this in grand style. Gods, he heard bellowed behind him. A sword slashed at a branch as Sir Waymar Royce gained the ridge. He stood there beside the sentinel, long sword in hand, his cloak billowing behind him as the wind came up, outlined nobly against the stars for all to see. Outlined against the stars means that his silhouette is blotting out the stars behind him, and specifically, it's his black cloak that is doing this. His cloak was his crowning glory, sable, thick and black and soft as sin. A thick, sinful black cloak which billows out and blots out the stars. This is a little bit of mythical astronomy here because, according to my grand theory, it was the clouds of smoke, ash and debris billowing out from the meteor impacts which blotted out the sun and stars. Thus, Night's King figures tend to have these black cloaks or some other equivalent symbol. Euron actually has an identical black sable cloak to Waymar's, as well as a ship with black sails, which blots out the stars. Stannis sets fire to King's Landing and fills the sky with smoke that literally blots out the stars. Darkstar is called Darkstar, and in one scene he stands outlined against a quote, dying sun, in a similarly grandiose fashion to Sir Waymar on the ridge here. Jon Snow, of course, wears a black cloak of the Night's Watch, and like all all Night's Watchmen are called a shadow. John also wears black ice armor in that dream of his that we talked about last time. And finally, we see, quote, night black armor on John's daddy Rhaegar, as well as Aemond One-Eye Targaryen and Aegon the Conqueror. Waymar's star-blotting sable cloak, all-important symbol of the darkness of the Long Night, is named as his crowning glory here. This is simply a way of telling us that he's a Night King figure. Sinful darkness is his crown. That's not too hard to understand as far as symbolism goes, right? The golden crowns that kings have worn all throughout history symbolize the sun's rays and the divine favor of the sun god thought to be conferred onto the king. Inverting that golden crown into a black crown is therefore a perfect symbol for someone who is king of the long night, which was a time when the sun's face was darkened. 
For example, Stannis was described as looking like he wore a shadow crown in his very first scene, which we covered last video. Euron wears a black iron crown, and Aemond One-Eye wore the black crown of Aegon the Conqueror, who is himself another Night's King figure. Even the Stark Kings of Winter have a black crown, which makes sense because the Starks seem to have a connection to both Night's King and the others, and because the title King of Winter is similar to the idea of a King of Night. The Long Night was also a long winter, and either way, we're talking about the idea of someone who is king when the sun is either weakened or gone, hence the black crown symbol. Regarding Waymar, his version of the black crown symbol is specifically a sinful cloak of billowing darkness, which seems easy to interpret as a symbol of the long night darkness and the sin which caused it. So as you can see, I'm not haphazardly slapping the Night's King label on Waymar just because he looks like an undead Ice Odin. He fits the bill very well, and he has all the same symbolism as many of the other Night's King figures. So the question again becomes, why does George have Waymar manifest this Night's King Ice Wizard archetype here at the end of the chapter? I think the answer is that he's trying to foreshadow where the story arc of the Others is going by showing us that the Others are waiting for someone special, someone who can pass their tests and not get laughed out of the room, so to speak. Someone who fits this one-eyed, ice wizard, king of night archetype. And folks, there's really only two choices here, Euron or Jon Snow. Euron already has the blue one-eye symbolism. He famously has one blood eye, which he keeps hidden under an eye patch, and then one blue smiling eye although sometimes it's smiling with malice. Euron is actively seeking magic of all kinds and talks openly of becoming a god and bringing on the apocalypse, so this really isn't some sort of wild, counterintuitive notion here. It's backed up by a specific Night's King symbolism, though, quite a lot of it. And we'll do a dedicated Night's King Euron symbolism video very soon, perhaps next in this series. Euron is currently a long way from the north, but I think he's going to be around for a while, and he's very intent on riding a dragon, which, as we've seen, can transport you around the kingdom very quickly. So so I think Euron will have no problem becoming tied into the final events in the North. He's certainly shaping up to be the final third-act villain in a narrative sense, and it would be hard for him to do that if he had nothing to do with the others. As for Jon Snow, well, he too is going to get his own video in this series, solely dedicated to showing the foreshadowing for him becoming a new Night's King and leader of the others. But I will give you a brief rundown of what it involves before we call it a wrap here. Call it a teaser. First, Jon compares very well to Waymar physically. He's from an ancient first man house, he's dark of hair, long face, gray eyes, and John and Waymar are even the only two people to wear moleskin gloves in the series. This is actually important because it could explain why the others might have thought Waymar could be John. Because of the moleskin glove prophecy. No, no, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's because Waymar literally looks like John and was about the same age. They even share some of the same blood, as there have been several somewhat recent Stark Royce intermarriages. The second thing foreshadowing Night's King John is that the Starks may be related to Night's King, according to Old Nan. So it may be that the others simply need a Stark for their king in the way that Azor Ahai Reborn should be a dragon rider and a Targaryen. The first Stark kings were called the Kings of Winter, as we just mentioned, and those kings bore nicknames like Ice Eyes and Snowbeard, in addition to that black iron crown of swords. Then there is the possibility that the others may be owed a Stark baby by some ancient, unholy pact. This is the prince that was promised to the others theory, which is the idea that a child of knights, king, and queen was somehow not turned into a full other, but was instead stolen and raised as a Stark. Just as Gillian Sam stole baby monster from Craster before he could be given to the others, and instead brought him south of the wall. If the Starks do descend from such a stolen other child, then it's possible that John must be sort of given back to the others as a part of pacifying their ancient enmity for mankind. 
And then there is the symbolic foreshadowing, like John's ice armor, or like Bran seeing him growing hard and cold at the wall, and the implied presence of the others at the Tower of Joy scene. That's right, we'll talk more about that soon. This is all topped off by the absolute avalanche of symbolism tying John to the fall of the wall, which figures to be a key element of the fall of the new Long Night and the invasion of the others. As for that one-eye Odin symbolism, well, John has it too, in sneaky fashion. It comes in a clash of kings when Orel's eagle attacks John, clawing his face around one of his eyes. Half his world was black. My eye, he said in sudden panic, raising a hand to his face. John ultimately ends up with a scar running across his eye, but as you can see, he's initially blinded by the wound. Most importantly, the lines here are written to match the eye-wounding scene at the end of the Waymar prologue, which ties John to these ideas about defeating death and obtaining the frozen fire of the gods. John's chapter says this. The blood kept running down into his right eye, and his cheek was a blaze of pain. When he touched it, his black gloves came away stained with red. Those are John's black moleskin gloves, stained with red blood, to be exact. So now check out Waymar, checking out his first wound against the other. Sir Waymar's fingers brushed his side. His moleskin glove came away soaked with red. It's almost the same line exactly. His black gloves came away stained with red, versus his moleskin glove came away soaked with red. Now here's the end of Waymar's chapter as he strangles Will. Long, elegant hands brushed his cheek and then tightened around his throat. They were gloved in the finest moleskin and sticky with blood, yet the touch was icy cold. John touches his own cheek, staining his gloves red, and here Waymar's bloody gloves touch Will's cheek. I hope the reason why Martin would create parallels between these two eye-wounding scenes is obvious by now. It implies that John should be in the Waymar role, and that he may be destined to acquire the icy fire of the others, as Waymar and Night's King did. There are several ways this could manifest in the story, though, and we'll cover all that in the Night's King John video. So start getting pumped for that. The same goes for Night's King Euron. There are a couple of different ways it could play out. I'll make a video about that, and you should start getting pumped like Arnold for that too. You can also get a head start by diving into the podcast playlists titled Moons of Ice and Fire and Blood of the Other, which you can find under the playlist tab on Ye Old YouTube channel.